Welcome to yet another thrilling episode of Commuting the Cosmos, where this week we'll be looking at sound waves in space. People often ask, how do we know the Big Bang happened? Or more properly, how strong is the evidence for Big Bang cosmology? Frankly, it's overwhelming, and one large piece of evidence arises from asking a simple question. Can we hear the Big Bang? This would certainly be a short episode if the answer was no, so rejoice, for the answer is a definite yes. You can in fact hear the Big Bang, or at least the acoustic remnants of it, but to do that we can't use our ears, we instead have to use our eyes. To explain how all this works, permit me a few minutes of physics. It won't take too long, I promise, my fingers are crossed. It'll be a short one today, hopefully. So our story begins when time does. In the earliest moments of the universe, many things are going on. But for our purposes, all you need to know is that the universe was expanding rapidly and was filled to the brim with a soup of energy. Fun fact though, that soup of energy was not uniformly distributed throughout the universe. Some parts of space had a tiny bit more energy than other parts. Not much more, think 0.01% more energy. This lack of uniformity is well known in quantum mechanics, but let's get into the details of that another day. All we need to know is that due to quantum mechanics and quantum fluctuations, some initially tiny microscopic regions of space just had a bit more energy than others, but as the universe expanded rapidly, those microscopic volumes of space become macroscopic. They grow in size until they're huge. So right now we have these large volumes, some just a tiny bit more dense than others. The universe is still extremely small, which means it's extremely hot, it's dense, and because there's so much gas it acts like a fluid. And what do you get if you have different regions of density in a fluid? You get a sound wave that ripples outwards. And all of this is possible because the universe is a fluid. However, it is expanding, so the fluid is getting less dense, it's cooling as the universe expands. Let's have a brief aside and just talk about gas for a few seconds. Gas as we know it is probably just the atmosphere, that's what we're most comfortable with, and you'll notice that we can see through the atmosphere. The atmosphere is not that dense and it's not that hot. There's another big ball of gas in the sky called the sun. The sun is very dense and very hot and you'll notice that we can't see through the sun. So there's a transition with gas where as you go from hot and dense, too cold and sparse, it becomes transparent. If the gas keeps getting sparser and sparser, eventually sound waves stop traveling too. That's why there is no sound in space. One other crucially important detail is that in the early universe, the gas and light were coupled together into a fluid that incorporates both. Obviously for gas that we're familiar with, like the atmosphere, it's not coupled to light. However, we don't need to get into that detail to accurately explain the physics. Just if anyone's done a first year physics course and is like looking at me a little bit weird, like there's some slight problems there, I've simplified it. Please don't hate me. So at the moment we've got this transition point in the universe from when sound waves could travel to when sound waves can't travel. And as these pressure waves from the overly dense regions are rippling out, the universe undergoes this transition and all those ripples get locked in place. Alright, time for an analogy just to try and make this slightly intuitive. So imagine a cold, silent lake up in the mountains completely at rest. 
no wind, nothing. And then it starts to rain. When each drop of water makes contact with the lake, there's an increased amount of water at that location. You can think of that like this extra density. And what happens when a ripple hits the lake? Well, it spreads out, and that's analogous to the sound wave in the early universe spreading as well. And just like there are many patches of overdensity in the early universe, there are many raindrops. And all the ripples that are spreading out are overlapping each other and forming this nice intricate pattern. But then suddenly, the lake snap freezes all in an instant, and those ripples are frozen now, and the pattern that has formed is locked solid in the ice. And that's exactly what happened with the universe as it expanded and sound waves stopped being able to travel in it. So here we are in this frozen universe where some parts of it have more energy than others. Now, energy and matter are really the same thing, you know, E equals mc squared. So we should remember that more energy means more gravitational attraction, more matter. And when you have more matter, you have more gravity. So those slightly overdense regions start to collapse faster than the other regions, and they form the first galaxies. In addition, they also suck matter out of the underdense regions, simply because the underdense regions don't have that gravitational force to keep them all together when the overdense regions are right next to them. A couple of billion years passes, and these overdense regions have formed more and more galaxies. And here's the good thing, we can see galaxies. So what we do is we go out and measure the position of millions of galaxies and ask ourselves the question, how likely is it that we find one galaxy a certain distance away from another? Now we go out and we measure this with our telescopes, and we don't find a uniform distribution. In fact, we find a distribution that has a very obvious bump in it. And that bump is the ripple that we were talking about earlier. Or to be more specific, I should say that the distance that we find that bump corresponds to the size of those ripples before the universe was frozen. And that in itself corresponds to how far sound waves could have traveled from time equals zero until the universe was frozen out. This peak that we find is called the baryon acoustic oscillation, and the time at which the universe was frozen out we call the epoch of reionization. Ionization because that's when the gas went from ionized like the sun to unionized like the atmosphere in Earth. And baryon acoustic oscillations, well, baryon because baryons are protons, neutrons, you know, that make up all the matter that we're used to, ourselves, the Earth, the Milky Way. And acoustic oscillations because that's just a fancy way of saying a sound wave. Now, we bother to go out and actually measure this signal, the baryon acoustic oscillation, because it tells us many useful things. The size, shape, and evolution of those oscillations over the lifetime of the universe tell us about what's in the universe, dark energy and dark matter. What we can also do is use them to map out the expansion history of the universe. If we know that the ripples were a certain distance apart when they froze out, and we go and check how far apart they are right now and find that it's a thousand times larger than we expect, we know that the universe has expanded by a factor of a thousand since the frozen times. Similarly, if we then look at galaxies that are a billion light years away, so looking a billion years into the past, we can measure exactly how big the ripple looks then. 
And if we find it's only 700 times larger than it used to be, well, the universe was only 700 times larger then, and it's grown to a thousand times larger in the past billion years. We can do this for a variety of different distances and look-back times, and that way we can precisely map out the expansion of the universe, because those ripples represent a standard ruler that shouldn't be changing in size, because as you know, the sound waves aren't travelling anymore. So the only way that they do change in size is if space itself is expanding. So I analysed this signal, uh, I guess I was one of the many people analysing this signal, for the Australian Wiggle Survey, which measured 200,000 galaxies in the Southern Hemisphere. Alas, that time moves on, and we have now been surpassed by larger surveys, which have measured millions of galaxies. But the good news is that they're going to get surpassed as well. Even bigger surveys are always being planned, and I'm part of the Dark Energy Survey, which has measured around 60 million galaxies so far, and should hit 300 million galaxies, fully processed in the next few years. So we're going to get some amazing science out of that, including a very detailed look at those baryon acoustic oscillations. So that's your very short overview of sound waves from the Big Bang. I hope that's a useful bit of party trivia that you can throw out to spice up any event which needs some astronomical jazzing up. In case you don't want to do that, uh, I won't take it personally. And if you'd like to submit a question for discussion, just send me an email at commutingthecosmos at gmail.com and hopefully we'll get around to it as soon as we can. And for a slight change in pace, I was thinking that for the next episode I'll talk about a question that I get asked a lot. It's not a scientific question, it's a conspiracy theory question, and it's are the moon landings real, or is this all just one giant hoax? No points if you manage to guess what the right answer is, but I thought it might be useful or at least fun to go over why some people believe it is a conspiracy theory, and then ruthlessly tear that viewpoint apart. Until then, have fun.